and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, from the highest point on FSU's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State, coming to you live from room 420 inside of Diffenbaugh. Save your jokes at the door. I am your host, Nick Carlisle, bringing you the latest, the greatest, and Florida status in everything sports, or at least as much as we can fit within the hour for people all around the world. Of course, you can find us on Twitter at talk underscore Tomahawk, and you can call into the show at 850-644-1837. Once again, that's 850-644-1837. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day, everybody. A very special holiday for a great, great man. I hope that for those of you who are students, you had a nice day off, and if any of you who uh, actually work (laughs) had the day off, I hope it was relaxing for you as well. Well, folks, I don't know if you were able to see it last night, but there was a pretty special sighting. It's a pretty special thing that went down, a, a super blood wolf moon. I think I got that right. The super uh, blood wolf moon happened last night. It only happens once every couple of years or so. Gigantic moon, closest it gets to the Earth, and it turns a very dark red color. Extremely cool to witness, but you know uh, the myth, or I guess it's a superstition that full or big moons cause crazy things to happen. As I stood outside in the 30-degree weather, I couldn't help but think to myself, this moon would explain a lot about the sports world in the past seven days. It has been a bizarre week for Florida State basketball, and it was certainly a bizarre night of officiating for the NFL. Uh, we'll get into all of that for you tonight. A wonderful show we have planned, and I see no reason to wait. What is a captain without his crew? I am joined tonight by my co-host for this evening, Luke Fay in Chris Camacho's place as he is still sulking and driving slowly in the rain while listening to Jesus Take the Wheel by Carrie Underwood, uh, sulking in the Saints' <laughs> loss. Um, trying to, it, it, a lot of tough scenes happened this weekend, Luke. Very much so. I feel bad for Chris. I, I saw what he was at. Did you see the crowd? He sent you a picture of the crowd. Yes. Over in New Orleans. Chris went over to New Orleans. And the party that would have been there if they had won, if they had won, would have been incredible. I'm sure they still had a good time, but, I mean... You got to feel you got to feel for some of these fans out here that both games went to overtime. You know, you can't you can't ask for a better slate and uh, we got one this <clears throat> evening or last week. And uh, coming in to help me out tonight a very special guest former host of the show recently promoted to a uh, full-time yes. anchor position at WCTV, the other chinstrap warrior in the studio. Let's go, baby. Michael Hudak, tell Let's us about go, this baby. new position of yours. Where can we find you? What's going on? How you um, been? I'm very excited to jump in in this new position. I've been working at WCTV for almost two years. Um, I'm officially the weekend morning anchor now. Um, so on Saturdays and Sundays, you can live stream me early in the morning, uh, around 8 a.m. I know most of you college kids aren't going to be awake that early, but... Um, <laughs> um, uh, and then during the week, I'm reporting day sides on 9 to 5, Wednesday through Friday. And you okay. can catch me live 5 and 6 o'clock on those days. Well, it's good to very hear that. Very excited, dude. very excited to be back, too. And uh, rounding out the panel tonight, Mr. Brett Rutherford. Uh, it's been a while since you've been on the show. It's been a little bit. It's, it's been, been a little, little bit. bit. How, are, how are you feeling about you know everything that's gone within the past week? Uh, as a neutral, I mean, you could ask for nothing nothing better this weekend. At, uh, championship Sunday, I was able to just sit back in my recliner, watch some football. Both games go into overtime. Nothing better. Nothing better, indeed. Luke Fay, Mike Kudak, Brett Rutherford, and once again, I am your host, Nick Carlisle. We are starting off the top, which if you didn't already know, is a segment where I take a look at the past week in sports, rip the top stories, and ask our panel about them, forcing them to come up with answers off the top of their head at the top of the show. And tonight, it's not the first time that they've tried something like this, but starting tonight, 
the NBA is testing a new way for fans and referees to interact with one another. Uh, like, that's a good idea right now. Uh, but even still, the NBA uh, trying to jump the gap in terms of social media presence as they are testing a way for fans and referees to interact with one another in real time during the game as referees will be able to tweet out the reasoning behind some calls and even why some calls may or may not have been missed. This will all be done via Twitter and will be handled in real time during the game, as I said, by officials that are watching the game from the replay center. Hey guys, this is a pretty interesting story that broke before the weekend, and I believe this new test begins tonight with the Lakers versus the Warriors. I'm curious to know what you think about this new fan and referee interaction, uh, what could possibly go wrong. From, from what I remember is they tested out a little bit earlier, and, and they ended up it ended up going pretty well. And then <clears throat> the other night, uh, Lonzo Ball got called for a foul. I can't remember what team it was again. It might have been Westbrook that he fouled or – was it OKC? So he, he fouled a guy, and they went to overtime. And LeBron James ended up tweeting at the official, the NBA official account, asking for a reasoning. And comes out a little bit later that that was not a foul. And so it seems like a, like a little half-hearted. Like, like, thanks for telling us that you got it wrong, but you aren't going to do anything about it. Mike? What's more entertaining to me is is probably something like what we saw, I think, two to three weeks ago when Blake Griffin had one of those tablets and was talking to the official during the timeout and trying to explain the replay while I was looking at the tablet. <laughs> yeah. Like, to me, I didn't know about this until you mentioned it, Nick, but that to me, that's similar to what we already have. Like, say in the NFL, like last night, where they're talking, where you'll have your color analyst and your play-by-play, Jim Nance and Tony Romo, the, the, the goat that already is Tony Romo in the, in the play-calling booth. And then when a questionable call happens, okay, Jim's in New York standing by 50, you know, 15 TVs. Let's talk about what did you see? He's been a ref for 25 years. Now he's retired. Let's bring in his opinion. That It's like the same thing to me, but the social media aspect is something that the NBA is on top of every other professional sport handling, so that does not surprise me at all. Brett? Yeah, the NBA is always ahead of the curve when it comes to social media. I think this is just a way to you know, get fans talking about the NBA on Twitter. They're always going to make sure their name's out there. They're always going to make sure that their primetime games are being discussed by everyone across the country and even across the globe. So I think it's just a good way to promote the league and promote a great game we got tonight. See, I'm a little bit more pessimistic than the rest of you. Because uh, to be honest, my first thought when I first started the story is why is this a thing? I mean, you already said it. The NBA has such a fantastic social media presence already. This is kind of doubling things down, so to speak. My second thought was what poor man or woman is going to have to sit at a desk answering tweets from ticked off fans who are asking about calls that they didn't personally make? Because, you know, from, uh, for example, some fan in Chicago who, by the way, the Bulls just got Carmelo Anthony about an hour or so ago. That's a very interesting move. Uh, but you have some fan in Chicago, and I'm just using the Bulls as an example here, but you'll have this fan that is irritated by a call railing off on this referee Twitter account, and the refs just kind of have to sit at those desks and take the punishment and also come up with a statement as to why the call was made the way that it was. And that's also to say that they have to come up with a solution for a call that they did not personally make in real time. And that's kind of like, wow, what way to kind of throw your referees under the bus. Um, no, what I believe, like, Mike, you brought up a great point, and I guess great hosts think alike. They're, it's very similar to what the NFL recently has. I don't know if it was implemented just this season or if it was something that, that showed up last season. I can't remember. I think it's been a thing for a couple of years now. It used to not be a thing whatsoever, and then the NFL got smart about it and said, well, let's have someone in the on-air presence that can jump on air at any point, at any time, and he's not only in the booth, but we're going to bring send him in New York because that sounds more official and have him <laughs> sitting by 15 TVs because you, got, you can't be sitting by 15 TVs in Miami or L.A. you got to be in New York. That sounds official. Like, right. It's, it's just it's about the image and the perception. The NFL does that. 
very well. Yeah, and I and I love that I love that they do it, especially for the playoff games. Uh, they're actually in booth because it's it's one singular game, and I just love the fact that all Jim Nance has to do is look to his right or his left, wherever he is, and say, "Hey, what's going on with that call, Gene Steratore? Or uh-huh. what's going on with that call, Mike Pereira?" You know, the fans have no control in the terms of NFL. Uh, they can talk to the audience. They throw the call out. I love it. Now, this difference is that within the NBA, it's putting fans directly in contact with the referees, and that you know brings a level of bias into it that I think really kind of makes things not as stable as it is in the in the NFL, where it's just two unbiased sources talking it out with one another, and the audience gets an extra perspective. So the NBA is kind of trying to jump and get on that bandwagon, but I don't think they're doing it the right way. Yeah, I I would say the M for the NBA, it's like an interactive digital conversation, and that's the point of so it. Like if, I said, I didn't really hear about it until you mentioned if, it. If that's the point, why not run more social media polls? Why not ask questions directly through the NBA Twitter? Specifically for the NBA? Specifically for fans from the NBA. You're talking about during the game? I'm talking during the game. I don't know why. I don't have an answer for you. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> you're not the NBA. I don't expect you to be the NBA, but that's... that's it would be a good idea to do it. Any idea. social media conversation these days is is good and promotable and worldwide. You can globalize it, any of it. So, Right. right. But with that being said, that was the Off the Talk segment presented by me, sponsored by me, delivered by our panel tonight. Uh, before we get into the current dumpster fire that is men's basketball, I do want to talk very quickly about Ooh. some Florida State football news. Uh, a couple of stories coming out over the course of this past week, the first of which being more recently Florida State has hired uh, University of Miami's wide receiver coach Ron Duggins to the same position here at FSU. Uh, and if that name sounds familiar to you, that is because Duggins was a wide receiver here for the Seminoles during the 90s. Mike, this is another really nice hire for Florida State. Was do- what does this hire specifically do for the program? I think that it brings in some consistency because, again, he's entering the building. David Kelly is not necessarily leaving. His position is either changing, the name is changing, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think that Florida State has a big opportunity here to improve at the wide receiver position because they're not losing their best receiver from last year. supposed to be Nyquan Murray. That didn't happen. Tamori Ontario is here. He has arrived. He's ready to go. I'm excited to see how this kid can grow. Um, And I think that it has some kind of stability in the program because it's a former player and it's because someone that has the tradition and knows the tradition. Yeah, Willie Taggart, he's um, a seminal through and through and he bleeds guard and goal, but he had never been here before he started that being the head coach here that kind of brings some kind of element to it and and maybe this could uh bring some consistency like i said i will say this i i can break it right here on tomahawk talk i had a source say last night that a pretty reliable source say that james blackman should be staying here Mm -hmm. that's what i had heard to me that's good news why is that good news because just having deandre francois seems like a problem to me Mm-hmm. And in a lot of drama was made when Blackman entered the transfer portal, the free agency market of college football now. And the co- college football is going to have to make some kind of rule about it because God knows that's way too much freedom for college players to have. They have to, you know, they have to, they're such control freaks. But I will say that I don't know if it's actually going to happen, but I can say a, a pretty reliable source texted me that last night. But, you know, that I, that specific hire does bring some kind of consistency i like it i think it's a good hire and it's almost like the transfer portal has opened up and sucked in half the ncaa at this point uh but james blackman reportedly did enter his name into the transfer portal uh earlier in the week and then sat down with willie taggart and now he is apparently as you said resold on the program luke what do you make of this situation as a whole and what does this mean for the quarterback battle that we're bound to see once again in the spring i I don't really know um does does blackman have the confidence in himself within this system you know um, we we don't know that either, uh, so we'll just have to we'll have to wait and see approach. I know DeAndre isn't necessarily 
what the fans want, and you get the you get the graduate tra- or you get the transfer from Louisville, but I believe he has to sit out a year, so that doesn't really help. And now you're looking and seeing, can you just snag one quarterback from high school, just just so that you have some type of depth? So so in that regard, I don't really know. Um, it might be a repeat of what happened last year, and if the offensive line, which I mean, I'm hearing the offensive line might get worse, then you're left in an even worse predicament. But with the wide receiver hire, I'm I'm pretty excited about it because I see that the former Seminoles and wide receivers PK Sam mentioned how this is the guy that they needed in the first place, how they missed out on him earlier, and that now that they've got him, it'll be a great building block just for the legacy as well, along with getting players better. Right. Well, so far uh, this season, in terms of basketball for both men and women, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, and it's almost like the two teams trade places within, uh, I guess, university standing with each other weekly. As men seems to have be have been on a high point, and women's uh, was a little bit more of a head scratcher. Uh, and that was that week, and now this week it's been reversed again. The women have pole vaulted back into the top 25, while the men have been sent down to who knows where. Uh, still number 23 in the coaches' poll, which is pretty generous considering that the uh, the AP poll has said bye-bye and plunged the nulls down and out of the rankings. Obviously, there is a lot to say about both these teams, but starting with women's team first, Brett, a couple of really nice wins this past week, a 20-point victory on the road against Boston College, which is a very, very uh, decent uh, ACC team. And then coming back home, a closer game against a weaker opponent in Duke, which it, it, it wouldn't seem that way considering the prowess that Duke has on the the other side of the basketball realm. Uh, coming out with a 66-62 to win at home. Brett, those women have seemed to find some consistency here. That was a very, very impressive road win. Three out of the five starters scoring in double digits on a 54% shooting night. Listen, you know, we knew going into the season that Coach Sue Semerall's women's team is, was very young. And when they go into a game against Duke, a team that they're much better than on paper and really struggle to shoot the ball all night, they were going to need some sort of veteran presence to help them win the game. And on uh, yesterday afternoon, it was Kaya Gillespie, and she's been doing it all year. A, a transfer out of Maryland, sat out last season, was able to use her red shirt, and this year has led the team in scoring and rebounds. Yesterday, she was just as good as, as, as she always is. And she scored 17 points, grabbed nine rebounds. I mean, really, she was on the ACC newcomer watch list going into the season. Um, so this is really the veteran presence that the doctor ordered. Coach Sue's loving it, and she's really helping lead uh, this young team. So, Mike, my question to you would be what, I guess, what should we look at more? Should we look at the 20-point victory on the road against a very good team, or should we be looking more at the very close game against a lesser-so team at home? At this point in the season, I think it's better and a little bit more important to take the positives. And I think the road win against a good team that, I mean, they've shown a little bit of resiliency this year. I wouldn't say that they're the best ACC team, not at home. Um, but it's still a pretty good road victory. It's something that the men's basketball team couldn't do against a winless ACC Boston College men's basketball team. So if you're asking like which one is a little bit more impressive i'm taking the road victory versus the close home victory i always expect this team to win at home whether it's close whether it's a sizable lead i mean we saw this team lose in the second round at home last year in the ncaa playoffs like we like you said brett we we knew what we were getting with this team coming into the season i didn't expect something like that on the road this early in the season this early in conference play that's pretty good that's impressive i'm, I'm taking that game Lou, Kai Gillespie has had herself one heck of a season. We've said it a couple times on the show, and it's been reiterated again uh, tonight. So 
what does she have to keep doing in order to keep the success going? Well, obviously score points, but it's really the leadership ability that she brings because this is as as it's said like multiple times, it's a young team. You got it. It it, it kind of stinks because of how much better this they only got two losses, correct? They have two losses, yes. Three it, in one conference as well. It, they could have been so much better this year and right now they're still getting in they're still getting into the harder ACC play. Um now, once they play Louisville and Notre Dame, I believe no, is Notre Dame on the schedule on the road, February tenth. So once they play those two teams, then we'll see what they're really made of. But right now, you got to look at it at the beginning of the season. If I told you that Florida State would only have two losses right now, I think everyone would have said, "Oh, and, and men's basketball." <laughs> and as we know right now, men's basketball is not doing very well. And, of course, one of those two big games that you just mentioned uh, against the number four-ranked Louisville uh, Cardinals this Thursday at 7 p.m. Brett, what is it going to take for Florida State to win this game? Obviously, going into it, the expectations are something that's going to be a little bit jumbled. We're not ready to, or we rather don't know what to expect from this team. Of course, they've had some nice wins when they needed to, but they've also had some very, very uh, concerning moments throughout the season. So obviously this is the biggest test that this team has had so far. I don't think anybody's disputing that. But what what are we to expect from this game? How reasonable of an effort and how reasonable of an result are we expecting from uh, a number 22-ranked Seminole team against the fourth-best team in the country at this point? Well, I'll just say it. If Florida State shoots the way they did yesterday afternoon, they've got no shot going into this game. They're going to need huge performances from Nikki Okomu and Kaya Gillespie like they've been providing all season, and they're going to need the freshmen to step up. They're going to need to start dropping shots, converting from the free throw line, and make some threes, or else this Louisville team's going to blow them out of the water. And another thing, if you're looking at the result from the the, the road Boston College game, I already said at the very be- uh, earlier in the show, uh, three out of the five starters were in double-digit scoring. Uh, Gillespie had 23, Myers had 14, Okomu had 16, and then Wolfolk had 12. Not only that, but there was some <coughs> production off the bench, which is something that you can't say has been happening a lot for the women's basketball team thus far in the season. Uh, Jones had 11 off the bench, and then Lassiter also had seven. So is the bench production going to be the key to the game, this Louisville game, Mike? Yes. Um, I think that given how Ikomu looked so early in the season and given the drop-off in the last couple of weeks, I, I can't put a timetable on that, timeline on that. It's just not it, as good as it was it's in the been, beginning. It's been up and down. She's had, been, She's been very streaky this year. Yeah, it's just, but she's shown such flashes of greatness that whenever it's not there, it's like, is something wrong or, it, like, is the chemistry not there? Whatever. Um, you, given that drop-off, I think the bench is very important going into this game. It's good. It's very important in any ACC game. Um, but there's also a lot of weight on these starters, too. There's a lot of weight on, on Kaya, I think, in this game. And, I mean, just overall the type of pressure, just such a young team facing probably I, – I, I have to take a look at the schedule here very quickly, but the best team that they've faced thus far this season, you can make the argument that, well, they did play number 12 Iowa early in the season, a very, very nice victory. Um, and then just looking at the schedule, yeah, it's the best team that they've played all season. The starters are going to have to play, uh, play to their potential. Uh, Okomu's going to have to have the game that we've seen, the flashes in the pan that we have seen from her thus far transferring over to uh, men's basketball and if you told me last week that uh, it would get worse beyond a heartbreaking (laughs) loss to Duke in the final seconds uh, I don't think I would have believed you but 
here we are the next week over uh florida state losing uh, what everybody knew was a trap game uh in pittsburgh a, a team that they did lose to last year as well it was a trap game we knew that it was going to be very dangerous uh the the, the heartbreak woes uh, from the Duke game, obviously evident in, in, in uh, the loss versus Pittsburgh, uh, the Pittsburgh Panthers. But then traveling uh, to Boston College, a team that hadn't won in the ACC yet, and facing a very, very good shooting night from that team. Luke, what's going on with this team? Is it is it just still that loss to Duke or something above the shoulders just not clicking? I got to say, Ryan Kelly and Kurt Weiler cursed this team on this show. <laughs> Because they said that we were going to sweep, and we did not sweep. But I really think that the problem with this team is, I, I think that Mike can attest to this, is two years ago this there was a Florida State team that could not close or couldn't even hold a lead. And this feels like the team from two years ago. Not the team from last year, but two years ago that is kind of has an identity issue. If, if, if anyone else can, can go off of that, I think they have an identity okay. issue. I think that they certainly they certainly have an identity issue. I'm not going to argue you on that point. I just think are you so you're referring to the team? Which team are you referring? I think it's the Beasley, Beasley Bacon, Beasley Bacon, and XRM or XRM Isaac and Bacon. Because uh, to me, XRM Isaac and Bacon, they had a tough time closing out in games. Whereas with Beasley and Bacon, it was the two of them took over. It was one of them. And yeah, they would turn the ball over from time to yeah, time. I think that was one a one B type of team, yeah, but yes, very similar. This, this bottom line, this team has an identity crisis. I'm just looking at the stats from the, the Pittsburgh game right now. And, um, Trent Forrest on a 4-for-13 shooting night had 19 points, but no one else was in double figures. I mean, that just can't happen on the road, not in this conference. If it happens on the road in this conference, you're going to need some kind of miracle happening on the other side, some really negative thing happening on the other side, and that didn't happen. Pittsburgh had a, a player score 30 points in the game. So if you have that, and if you have a certain player score over 30 points in back-to-back -back games the same way R.J. Barrett did here in the tuck and the same way he just did in Pittsburgh, you're going to have a snowball effect where your defense doesn't know where to go and it's out of place and it's just it's it's uncharacteristic of a Leonard Hamilton team that's usually very strong on the defensive side. No. And then you they go to the Boston College game. That, that's just inexcusable, man. The way that they shot from beyond the arc in that game, the way that they've shot beyond the arc this season to me has been bad. Like just subpar, not what you need, not what you can afford in the ACC. And the defense, whenever that's just thrown off, it's you see these double digit losses. And even though that loss uh, last night was not, a, I don't think it was a double digit loss, was five, it? Five, 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 five points. points. But that doesn't do justice to what the game actually was. It was 15 points with four minutes left. Like that's a double digit loss. That's a sizable loss. So I, I just can't excuse the defense. I can't excuse the three point shooting this season. I think the problem lies with the leadership. I believe that it starts with the seniors. It starts with Terrence Mann. Yeah, they played the last game with Phil Kofer, but he also struggled in the Pittsburgh game. Yeah, these guys are nursing injuries, but they can, they still have to be verbal and leader and actual leaders on the court with their actions. Terrence Mann has, to me, been a very disappointing this year yep. because he's supposed to come back and be the, not only the vocal leader, but he's supposed to be the star player that comes in and leads by example. He has been very, very passive this year, and I think that has a lot to do with this team. There is no reason that we should have multiple games when one player scores double digits. And, and multiple Mike, times this year that has happened. That shouldn't happen. That can't happen at ACC. And, and Mike mentioned that. He, he said how, how Florida State has allowed kids scoring 35 a game the last three three games they've allowed a certain player to do that 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 happened at boston college as well but you go and look at the stats again and it's cabin gelly and then no one else no one else to be found 
I mean, when when the rest of the team is scoring 12 points and 8 points, you, you aren't going to get anything out of that. And it seems like Kevin Gelly is just carrying this team, but that no one... There is no real true leader. I thought Terrence Mann was going to step up. I Personally, the last three years, I thought he was the most underrated player on Florida State's basketball team. He did everything you wanted him to do. And then this year, it seems like we thought he had just a slow start, and he's disappeared on the floor. The thing that's that's really incredible to me, just looking at the stats from this Boston College game, and this is going to transition into what I I, I figured is going to be talked about next, and that's Cabin Gelly. But Chris Kamaji had one rebound in 12 minutes of work. Now, it, it, it was just 12 minutes. Apart. But he – I don't understand why Cabin Gelly hasn't started uh, two games ago. I don't – I do not understand. Now, obviously, the Duke game was Cabin Gelly's breakout game. That was the game – in the prime time, where everybody was watching, where everybody said, this guy can play, this guy is next-level talent. And then, you know, he, here he is, the best player from that Boston College game uh, for Florida State, 20 minutes, 26 points, five rebounds, or excuse me, nine rebounds, uh, and, he, and he hit a fair majority of his free throws. Why is this guy not starting? He, he's not starting, though, because... Well, because well, I, you want him to go against uh, a tired unit well, in the second Well, team. and also you can't teach being 7-4. But in that aspect, I think what Hamilton has to do, and I expect him to do for this Clemson game that's coming up tomorrow, is you have to start Kevin Gelly. You have to find some offense somewhere. I'm going to let Brett talk and come to me. I, I will say in defense of Leonard Hamilton's squad, they've been dealing with several injuries on this team. Trent Forrest is banged up, Terrence Mann. But if if – Coach Ham does not start Cabin Gelly tomorrow night. I'm going to start seriously doubting his ability to lead this team to where they can, where they're, where they're able to go. Uh, so I think it all goes back to the Duke game, and and the reason why Cabin Gelly has not started in that Duke game, FSU outscored Duke, spends 34 to six, really big game. Duke had a big game from its starters. Okay, that's fine. FSU scored 34 points, right? That's good, right? 24 of those points were from Cabin Gelly. You need some kind of production from your bench, and in some of those clutch moments, you didn't have any of that. You had 24 from Cabin Gelly in that game. You had 10 from Raekwon, Raekwon Gray. So that's what really what it goes down to, I think, is that you need a little bit more. You don't have this boom squad anymore. The boom squad is either the starters now or they're gone and, and playing in some street somewhere. They, you need some kind. You need a, a, a consistent bench. This team doesn't have that right now, and they certainly don't have a bench that can come in and play good defense, which is why they're staying on the bench and they're not on the court. As far as the leadership, I want to respond to Brandon, what he came in and said, and that was the voice of Brandon Spencer, by the way. Yeah, a, um, a special appearance. Special guest appearance by Brandon Spencer. Um, Brandon, you know basketball, and and he, he just kicked my butt on the court out there <laughs> what was it, on Jackson Bluff. I, I'm uh, no shame about it. It was 10-10. I, made a, I almost made a circus shot from that point on. I don't think I scored one point. Um, it goes back to the Duke game for the leadership because in that game, I'm telling you, I saw a – I saw some kind of passion in this team that we had not seen so far this season, and that is a great home environment. That's what the tuck can do to you, man. But that's what that kind of loss, that's the effect that that kind of loss has on a team. Is You have boy, you have men to boys instead of boys to men. So they go on the road and back-to-back tough road environments, they just fall flat on their face, and there isn't that leader. There isn't. There aren't those multiple 10-point scores. I, I really do think that I saw leadership before that game, really during that game, right before Krzyzewski's last timeout. <laughs> and then after that last timeout, man, it all went to crap. <laughs> and so, there's been no leadership since that point. So I really I go back to that game. 
some hot takes in the studio right now. It is the halfway point, so we're going to take a 90-second break. Do not go anywhere. We've got a lot more coming from you. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. The day we all became famous No one cares if you're happy Just as long as you claim it uh. How can we change this? The day we all became famous No one cares if you have it Just as long as they think you do Just as long as they think you do Just as long as they think you do I don't need the foot Just need you to think I can get just need you to think I hit it. I don't need the good. Just need you to think I did it. I don't need the good. Don't need the good. Don't need no. Life became dangerous the day we all became famous. No one cares if you're happy. Just as long as you claim it. Uh. How can we change this? The day we all became famous. No one cares if you have it. Just as long as they think you do. 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 And welcome back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. On the other side of the break, we left a very, very interesting and uh, passionate conversation about this, uh, the state of this Florida State men's basketball team. And that conversation, that discussion uh, went into the break. And it's a good thing uh, that mics are muted because there was a a couple of uh, words that cannot be repeated on there that were flown around. But with that being said, uh, just talking about what I said earlier about why isn't Kevin Gelly starting got some very convincing counter arguments as to why he isn't. And, uh, upon further thought, it, it, it does make sense why he's not currently starting. And that really just relies with the way that the bench is playing right now. Nobody else on the bench. That's not named, uh, that, uh, that's not Kevin Gelly is really producing enough in order to afford the, uh, the spark plug that Kevin Gelly provides off the bench. But, uh, we also left you talking about a little bit of leadership and where it could possibly come from. And that leadership that's been lasting, you talked about Terrence Mann, Luke, a little bit. And obviously he was kind of herald, uh, heralded as the leader for this team. And he's not been there when uh, when this team has needed him the most. Uh, but in somebody who also hasn't been there for a lot of season is Phil Kofer. And obviously he did not play for a fair majority of the opening uh, of the season in non-conference play. And he also missed the, the game versus Boston College last night. So my question to everybody is, and everybody's going to have a different answer for this, but the leadership isn't there. Where is it going to come from? Is, is man going to have to put on the big boy pants and step up and become that leader, or is it going to come from somebody else? You can go ahead. Well, the truth is, is, is going into the season, I'd say Phil Kofer would have been the main leader on this team, and I don't think he's been healthy. I don't think he's been fully healthy at any point this year. He struggled when he's in games. He's missed a lot of games. He missed all, almost all of the non-conference games. So until Phil Kofer fully heals from whatever injuries he's dealing with, I think this team's going to really struggle when it comes to leadership. And 
you know, I think just the people around Kofer and people around the starters on the team. I mean, MJ Walker uh, shot four for 13, and he's been a liability at best for this Florida State offense when he's on the floor, and he's continuing to put up shots trying to get himself out of this slump. Uh, is it time for Walker to move back uh, into the rotation and have somebody else get a shot? I mean, clearly this team does have some depth, and it, it's up to Hamilton to how far you know he goes and he goes and uses it. Luke, what's what's the solution? There, well, there's no one really that you can put in his place that's going to be better, and that's a problem. Uh, for I mean, going back to last year, you know, MJ Walker had an awful postseason, a terrible postseason. And then you come back, and I the the first few non-conference games, he played pretty well. And then I think they say going back to the Duke game, he had missed 15 straight shots. And so you That's right. And so you, you, you come and look at it, and you go, this guy was one of the most talented recruits Florida State had, had gotten. And he shows up, and I don't know if he's not working hard or in the practice or what, but uh, talent doesn't always win. you gotta, you got to go and put, put in your work. And if his shots aren't going in, stay lock yourself in the gym, okay? He's got he's got good form, like he can knock it down. I just I think it's between the ears, and this Florida State team needs him to step up because there's no there's that production is lost. They need that production badly. I think uh, he definitely just has a confidence issue because in terms of shooting, it's literally ninety percent confidence, and everything else is within your form. So he definitely needs to get back in the gym, and definitely needs to get like work on his shot. Coming into the season. I felt that the people that were going to affect the game the most were going to be Trent Forrest, MJ Walker, and Fiondu Cavangelli. Now, I didn't think we were going to have to worry about Terrence Mann or Phil Kofer because they're seniors. They've been here before, and they should have been able to play at their high level every game and be the most consistent since they've been here. But that hasn't been the case. Well, let's not forget <laughs> at the Duke game, Phil Kofer had the best game of the oh, yeah, season. So amazing. let's not forget Let's not forget that that was recent, recent memory. Yeah, you're right. It's just... His body. Yeah, Phil. Phil. I think he's got the body of like a six-year-old man. Whilst Phil's played playing this year, I think he's played great. Six-year-old man. <laughs> well, he's twenty-five what right the, now. What the heck does that <laughs> I think he meant sixty, but yeah. <laughs> not six. But uh, I think Phil's great. Played great when he was healthy, but he can't seem to be healthy. And Trent has been. Trent is playing his role as a point guard, but I think he definitely needs to be more authoritative. And we need MJ to step up. He was a five-star <laughs> McDonald's All-American. We need him to play like it. But Trent and and Trent doesn't have the shooting ability we know he can drive and that is like that that is a huge deal on this basketball team is that you don't have a point guard that can shoot and so once once if trent's having a bad night then no one no one else he, he's the facilitator on the team and 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 when uh cj walker of course yeah he, he uh transferred to ohio state correct yeah yeah so there there are two transfers here that if we look at it obiagu and C.J. Walker were a lot bigger of that team last year than we would have thought before. And, of course, the, to wrap that all up, uh, Florida State losing four out of their last five, the last win uh, against University of Miami. And then uh, comes the game tomorrow night, home against Clemson. Brett, obviously the stakes are extremely high for this team right now. This is a must-win game. What do they need to pull off the victory? <clears throat> Well, uh, they they need their stars or quote unquote stars to really show up to the game, and I and I, I can I can only say this so much. This is a must win game for Florida State. We've used the word dumpster fire lightly, but if we lose tomorrow night at the Tuck, 
Oh, it's a dumpster fire. I mean, this team is this team is all over the place. And uh, you you can definitely sense that the pressure is on. I mean, there's already talks about well, this was thought to be a a very high seeded tournament team. There are talks <clears throat> now that well, if things keep going the way they're going, there might be no tournament at all, and that's just a drastic change to the mood. And it's it's a it's a really uh big. Uh, eye-opener, the difference that one week can make in terms of how your program is viewed. Mike, uh, I'm going to kind of throw back the same question that I just asked Brett. In your mind, what does Florida State need to do to win this game besides shoot the ball much better than they did uh, last night? So I'm going to answer your question. I'm also going to go back to the, the previous one like about leadership and talking about like, sure. main guys and everything like that. I don't know if I – like. If, if we're on different pages or something, but I'm just, my my focus is a little bit more on someone like Terrence Mann than it is on someone like Phil Kofer. Back in the, the training camp or like before the season, he has that injury. You know it's indefinite. It was an indefinite amount of time and that word just cast a shadow above the program because you had this guy fighting for a year of eligibility and then all of a sudden he gets hurt and then you're thinking, oh man, that's a, that's really bad. And and he, he talked about indefinite amount of time and, and things like that. Okay, Kind of push that to the side. What do we have now? What do we have in front of us? I'm looking at Terrence Mann. He's a preseason all or a preseason all ACC kind of guy. You're looking at him as the leader of the team. You're looking at him as a guy who's been in this program for a while, an integral part of the defense, everything like that. I just want to go back. I don't want to do too many statistics, but just listen to some of this stuff over the last couple of games. The five quote unquote five point loss at Boston College. He scored 14 points on four of 11 shooting. Eh. We go to the game on the road against Pittsburgh. Nine points on three of eight shooting. Okay, 0 for two. <laughs> from beyond the arc. That's epitomal. Terrence Mann in the Duke game, 9 points, 4 for 10 shooting, 0 for 2 from beyond the arc. Again, we're talking about 3-point shooting here. This is a leader of your team. If he's a leader of your team on an ACC team, he should be able to shoot the 3-point shot. I say it every time I watch him, I say shoot those 3-point shots. doesn't put him up. In the Miami game, 7 points on 3 for 5 shooting. Made one 3-pointer. That was the only one he took. And then in the Virginia loss, which was actually, I think, one of the worst losses uh, of the season, even though Virginia is a very impressive team, he scored no points on over three shooting and and had one missed three point sh- uh, three point shot. I know he's playing with a bad heel, and I know that that injury has gone mostly disclosed for a, a long time now, and he's just kind of trying to fight through it because we know how banged up this team has gotten. But when you look at the leadership in the locker room and how it translates to the court translates to the court we have to put a little bit more pressure on this guy we we have to look at him and say you've been here for a while you have been handed the torch this is a program that has lottery picks now that we have great first round draft picks in the nba now if you are the next one you either have to play your butt off and you got to shoot more shots or if you are hurt get off the court like, be the leader and say, I'm not healthy enough to be out here. Don't be out there and be the Achilles heel to your team. Be a little bit better. I'm, I don't want to be too hard on him because this is a team effort over these last couple of games. But I'm just, my focus is a little bit more on him. Going to the Clemson game, they're going to win this game. They have to win this game. If they don't win this game, the season, you book it. Like, they're going to be a low seed. If they even get into the tournament, it's going to be bad. Hello, NIT. Hello, NIT. <laughs> which is all too familiar for these teams on Florida State that have these great expectations and then fall to the you know, pits of the earth. They're going to win this game. I'm going to pick them to win this game. They're at home. They're better at home. Um, it took a miracle for Duke to beat them at home. Um, I believe this game is sold out as well. Yeah, So, I, but but they're going to have to shoot better from the on the arc. To answer your first question, they're going to have to shoot better from the on the arc, and they're going to have to have someone step up and be a Phil Kofer in the Duke game. You know, 20 points. 
Uh, Florida State, theoretically, when you take a look at the schedule, has a little bit of yeah. a break before uh, playing currently number 23-ranked Louisville on the 9th of February, and then they do have a couple of road games, uh, Georgia Tech, Clemson, and then at uh, North Carolina, who's currently ranked number 11th, and then the rest of the uh, the schedule gets a little bit hairy. So this is not just a must I mean, this is a must-win, but this is – if I can – Put italics and bold in a gigantic font on must win. I'm putting it on this next game versus Clemson because you're not going to get many more chances to make your whim column look a lot better than it currently does for a team that has as much talent as this Florida State team uh, is supposed to have. But with that being said, we'll all just have to see. We're about as anxious about the game as everybody else is in Tallahassee, especially after uh, the week that Florida State has had. Uh, again, the women have a very tough game on Thursday. Uh, men have definitely an uphill battle now to fight, and it's getting interesting around here in Tallahassee. But what also is extremely interesting, pass interference calls, or the ones that were not called in the NFC Championship game. I hear some snickers behind me. That was, that was a nice segue. Uh, if I do say so myself. But talking about the, the NFC Championship game, uh, moving into probably what everybody has been talking about at the office. Well, if you had work today, everybody's been talking about uh, over the past, I don't know, however many hours, 12, 13, however many hours it's been. It's probably, it's Math been over. Hard. It's hard. It's, yeah. Well, I'm an English major, so <laughs> it's double hard for me. Double Lee. I may not even get my degree after that. But with that being said, Luke. <laughs> What's your what's your gut reaction from this game? Which one? Both of them? <laughs> well, from the the NFC Championship oh, game. Yeah, start with the NFC. Well, the the Saints the Saints had the game in the bag. How how bad? I mean, how bad must New Orleans feel right now? You 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 end last year with the Minneapolis or the Minnesota miracle, and then you end with a blown call this year, which I think this is works because at. At the end of the day, last year you had a plan, you had a, a, a an opportunity to tackle Stephon Diggs, and you just completely dove <laughs> under him. And this year you have something that's not necessarily in your control. This was all up to the the men and women in black and white stripes. The difference between this game is this was to go to the Super Bowl, right? Okay, and I mean Drew Brees isn't going to have very many more chances out there. I, he's a great quarterback, but. The problem with the Saints has always been their defense. They finally got the defense respectable, and they go out there, they play a great game, and really, Todd Gurley, not doing well. He, he barely got into the game. Which was, and so which they was minimized. weird. He was, hurt. he was hurt. He was easily hurt. It had to have been something like that. But you go and look at it, and you think, no one would have thought this game would have been under 30 points, ever, and it ends up being that way. So you just... Uh, I didn't see the play live, and then I didn't understand what the uproar was because I, I went to the bathroom or whatever. I come back. It was it was brutal. I don't really know what what to say. And if I, I, I that might that's probably one of the worst losses for for a team in recent memory. This is probably that that batch of officiating, and I'm talking both games now. That batch of officiating last night was probably the worst officiating I've seen since the replacement refs, uh, however many years ago. Since <laughs> the, the lingerie the, football refs, yeah, the the uh, the Seattle, yeah, I know exactly. the The Seattle Green Bay game comes to mind immediately. Comes immediately to mind. Uh, some terrible, terrible officiating. And I can't believe talking about the AFC and the Patriots coming to uh, uh, the Super Bowl yet again. But, Mike, this is your time to shine. Uh, the Patriots are going back to the Super Bowl. 
how I, I want to ask oh. how does it feel, but I what is something feels different? Something feels different about this game and the way that they've done it, and I'm not sure why. Wait, I hope so it, wait a minute. Are we talking about the NFC Championship? Game or are we we've moved. About the AFC we, championship? We've moved to the AFC. Well, you're you're the Patriots fan. You're the oh, well. Do you want to well, talk well, about the NFC? All, if you tune into Eyewitness News on the weekend Good Morning Show at 8 a.m. on Saturday and Sunday, you would have known that I chose L.A. to go into New Orleans and win that game. What's up, man? And and um, and chose Kansas City to win the game at Arrowhead. Even though I've been a Pats fan since I was, you know, a kid. Since I was since I was a kid. Um, I picked tight. Kansas City to win because in my mind I had seen this story before. I had seen New England not get the number one seed in the AFC and then have to go on the road to a hostile, cold, freezing environment against a team with a decent defense but with a pretty good quarterback and blah, 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 the, a la the Denver Broncos a couple of times. I mean, it's just you've seen this story before. And then the game plays out in a similar fashion. New England got up. They had the 14 to nothing lead at halftime, and then the second half rolls around. Yeah, bad calls were going in either way, but to say that this game was determined off of certain bad calls, I believe is denying greatness. Not just denying greatness on the sideline of the New England Patriots. Patrick Mahomes is the real deal, y'all. He is the future of this league. And Tom Brady, I don't think in his in his how many however many years he's been in the NFL, I think it's like twenty one or twenty two years almost, something like that. Feels like fifty three. It, it feels like forever. But what I'm saying is Tom Brady has never taken the step to go into the opposing team's locker room after the game to talk yep. to a young twenty three year old quarterback and say whatever he said, probably very encouraging words. Mike Mike, they were they were an encroachment off of not going to the Super Bowl. D Ford lined up off sides. If he doesn't line up offside, my point is it's it's a whole different story. Well, yeah, and I want I want to say this. I want to say this. That the overtime rule or people people getting mad about the overtime rule is dumb. I I don't I don't get it. I think I, I agree with you. I, I think, think that it is Patriots hate. I, I really do think it's Patriots hate. If they want to do it, they got to do it only for the playoffs if they want to change it. But right. I really think that if Patrick Mahomes won. They, nothing would have It's stupid to get mad at that now because that's been the rule forever. That's been the rule since football has been invented. That the first team, there used to be the first team yeah. to score wins the game. Like not to not the first team to win a, to score a touchdown. If you are so good and you want the ball back, stop them from getting in the end zone. New England went down the field at will. It either comes in, you know, the the game was certainly impacted by some penalties that were at sometimes egregious, sometimes medium, and sometimes they were iffy calls. I mean, D Ford's a veteran in this league and he lines up offside before the ball is snapped. He's in the neutral zone before, before when they line up. That's inexcusable. And if that happened on the flip side, if that was, you know, Van Noy for the Patriots that lined up like that, everyone would be talking today saying, well, the Patriots blew it. But that's a bad play by Kansas City. Now, the, the roughing the passer call, that was egregious. That was a bad call from a ref that shouldn't have called it because he had a bad angle. The Chris Hogan pass, that was a drop ball. Like, you had some bad calls in this game. Tough to over the Edelman with the thumb. I mean, some of these things, it depends on the, the play that's called on the field because it's hard to overturn it. There's not decisive evidence you can overturn these calls. Bottom line, 
This was a display of greatness. This was a 31-31 to 31 game going into overtime. You cannot deny how great and how young Kansas City is and how good New England is as well. And to your to your point, Mike, the thing, the thing that people really fail to realize is you take a look at the score and you see OT next to the final headline and you say, wow, this game was really close. This was decided by a number of calls. But when you look at the actual stat, uh, statistics of the game, this was a game in which the New England Patriots dominated on every single facet. Now, it's by the pure genius and the pure skill of Patrick Mahomes that the Chiefs were anywhere close to winning this football game. Andy Reid got out coached. Bill Belichick brought his team in to Arrowhead Stadium completely prepared. And as much as it tears my heart apart as a Dolphins fan to say it, the Patriots, uh, again, came in, did what they were supposed to do, and the stats are incredible. They had, uh, and I'm going off of memory here, so... it discrepancies should be allowed a little bit, but they had about 30 minutes more time of possession, about 200 more yards, and I think about maybe maybe 10 more first downs than the Kansas City Chiefs did. That is something the Colts could not do against Kansas City but the week before. Brett, the, would you say Kareem Hunt? Kareem Hunt's not on the field. They had no rushing attack. Where... I disagree. They, they I, had they uh, towards the second half. They were able to get okay. the ball running. I don't think Kareem Hunt wins. You don't them think that he makes game. a difference? No, in the game? he makes does, a difference. Does he make a difference? Yes. Does he win the football game? No. <clears throat> Andy Reid got out coached. The only reason that the Chiefs were anywhere close to winning this football game is because Patrick Mahomes is the MVP of the league this season. He is the future of the league, as Mike said, and he is one dang good quarterback. I'm going to enlighten all of you, at least the people that are sitting on the, the panel here, because I can't speak for everyone in this room. This, I went, this when, room got packed. When, I, when, I responded to your, when I responded to your tweet this morning saying I would be here, I went online to one of my favorite people that I follow on Twitter to see if you followed him, to see if Luke followed him. I cannot speak for you, Brett, and I cannot speak for you. Um, I'm going to call you Porkchop because I can't remember your name, and you said you spell it <laughs> Porkchop. Tyler. Tyler. There we go. Um my my favorite, and we're gonna get. I I want to bring you on the show in a couple minutes to talk about what you said before the show because I want to challenge you on that. But what I'm saying is, every for people that don't follow follow Brian Baldinger, you got to follow him today, right now, because if you follow this guy and you he is a football film aficionado, like he goes through all of these plays as it's happening and shows you formations and shows you a gaps and shows you all this stuff that New England did right during the course of the game. If you if you watch this guy, if you watch six or seven of his one-minute videos that he does analyzing the film, you will be convinced that New England went into this game with a specific game plan and literally just did their job, like literally just did their job on defense, filled the gaps, stopped the run, controlled the pass. They had Devin McCourty on uh, Tyreek Hill the entire game. He made one, one catch, catch and did a little shimmy. After the catch, that was the only catch he made the entire and then He was Travis shadowed by one of the best safeties in the NFL for the entire game. And then the other threat, Travis Kelsey, only had 20, 25, 23 yards, something like that. It was I'm saying that New England's postseason defense is just a different breed, man. And you could say it to Bill Belichick, man. We're talking about a guy that coached Lawrence Taylor, that won a Super Bowl with the New York Giants before he ever went to the Jets or ever went to the Patriots. Like, this guy... He knows what he's doing in the defensively in the postseason. I'm I'm telling you guys, follow this guy. Watch six or seven of his videos. You'll be convinced. I, I will say, I don't, I don't know why I need to follow this guy. I can just go back and watch the CBS broadcast and listen to Tony Romo all night because he was on fire last I, night. I want to know, and I tweeted this out on the account, I want to know, I somebody has to have this statistic somewhere, but I am genuinely curious as to the percentage of play calls that Tony Romo gets correct 
literally seconds before they happen because I guarantee you it's better than a lot, a lot you, of I guess free throw percentages in the NBA. Uh, you got to know that like the 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 opposing he watches the opposing quarterback just as much in game film as well. They know they know how to read coverages and everything. It's just you haven't had a new age quarterback in the booth yet. And Tony Romo comes in there and he brought he just is like that excitement. He's bubbly. We He's almost had bubbly. Jay Cutler. Thank uh, God well, that did not happen. Are you that, saying Troy Aikman isn't bubbly? Well, uh, no, not at all. But, well, when you, I'm, I'm going to shut up. I, I like I like what Mike said about about the defense is that they go in and make they almost make you play their style into into their hands. The the New England defense last year they didn't even have a defensive end. They they had they were playing bums on defensive end in the in the playoffs and they still got to the Super Bowl. They make you play how they want them to. And I got to I got to give credit to Bill Belichick. He he killed it. He killed it like usual and he never he never broke a smile. <laughs> but he knew he, he broke knew an right iPad. Inside. He broke an iPad, oh, not a smile. <laughs> but um moving on, it, it's the it's the big show. It is uh, the Super Bowl, the Rams and the Patriots again like 2002, I believe. Brady was the quarterback then. Uh, was it 01? 01, 02? February of 02, the 01, 02 season. Anyways, uh, we got we got about three minutes left in the show. Uh, I'm, I'm wanting predictions. I'm wanting, uh, I guess, a little bit more than prediction, how the game's going to go, turnover ratio, et cetera. So whatever you have, whatever your thoughts are on this game, uh, I want to hear it. Luke, what do you got? I don't like how the Rams have played since week 14 at all. They're hot and cold, and even when they're winning, they aren't really showing you much. So I I think that it's going to – I really do. I think there's going to be a blowout in the Super Bowl. I don't think it's going to be competitive. Mike, Brett? That's a hot take. Um, Hot take. Man, everyone, especially in the AFC and NFC Championship games, you're looking at the second half, right? You're looking at the bad calls. You're looking at all this crazy stuff that happens right before overtime. You're looking at Drake and his sweater with all the teams and thinking (laughs) it's the Drake curse and all that. I, look at the first half of these NFC and of the NFC and AFC championship game. New Orleans has a 13 nothing lead at the Superdome. How do you let that lead go? New England has a 14 nothing lead at Arrowhead. How do you allow that to happen if you're Kansas City and you're a great offensive team? How do you get shut out? It's you have to look at how these teams start off these games, and that's where I think the Super Bowl lies. I think that it's going to be a really interesting first half because you've got a great offensive mind in Sean McVay, a great modern offensive mind. Excuse me against one of the best defensive minds in football. First half, huge, is, is to me bigger than the second half because the second half in at least these two conference championship games were like compensation. Like, can we catch up? Can we get there? Just trying to get there, fill the meter, and then all of a sudden you got there and, and you know, all hell broke loose. But point is, um, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I, th- I Like I said, I chose Kansas City to beat New England. I'm taking New England to win this game. I think you give Bill Belichick and you give Tom Brady two weeks to prepare for a team. That's they're they're like almost undefeated off of a bye week. I think in their history together, this is a bye week. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a bye week. It, yeah. Los Angeles, you know, they have the stars. LaMarcus Joyner, Marcus Peters, Aaron Donald, Todd Gurley. It, it, I don't know how healthy Todd Gurley will be two weeks time, but it but the Rams have a lot of holes. You know, is Indomitian Sue going to show up? How good is Jared Goff going to play? If you look at that New England Patriots roster, I can't. I can't point out a specific weak spot that I think the Rams can exploit on Super Bowl Sunday. I think it'll be close. I think Gurley, his health will be a big factor. But I think, just like in the AFC Championship game, at the end of the day, Belichick's going to out-coach McVay. 
Nick, I can only remember, Aqib Tlaib might be the only Rams player that I can think of that has been to a Super Bowl. The Patriots know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. The Rams might, they might have no idea how to play in this type of situation as well. It, it comes down to this, I think. And you, you can say, well, the Saints were literally a, a call away from making the Super Bowl. That pass interference gets called. It's it's first and whatever for the Saints. You take a couple kneel downs, you kick a field goal, you win the game, you go to the Super Bowl. New Orleans is a lot closer to Atlanta than uh, Foxborough is. You're going to have, uh, and I know that Patriots fans travel extremely well. All teams that have the dynasty like the Patriots have, their fans travel well. But that does have, things, have something to be said. Um, in Atlanta, Super Bowl, I think it's 53. This is going to be a game that's going to be really hotly contested. I think the Patriots are going to win this game. I agree with the statements that, look, Los Angeles Rams just have too many holes. The Patriots have already proven that they can stop a run. Now it would automatically be different if Kareem Hunt was running for Kansas City instead of uh, Williams, I, I believe. Um, but they've proven that they can stop the run. They were able to stop uh, – uh, yeah, I believe it was Williams, and they're going to have to end up stopping C.J. Anderson and Todd Gurley. And when you do that, like, and they show that they were able to do, you're going to have to force Goff to throw in Goff. He's, he had a fantastic early part of the season, but he's fallen off, and that's part of the reason why the Rams have had the struggles that they've had through the latter course of the season. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm picking the Patriots to win the Super Bowl, and we are just a little bit over time now. So thank you all so much for tuning in. We will be back next week. Uh, Chris will be returning uh, from New Orleans. I mean, he's going to be back later tonight, but he's going to be back on the show then. It is a crowded room in here ver with a lot of uh, VA to 9 alumni and new faces all around, so a uh, very exciting time here at VA9. Thank you all so much for listening. Once again, we'll be back next week. New releases up next. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.